This episode is brought to you today by our friends at Audible.com. Yes, Audible.com, the go-to source for audiobooks online. At Audible, you can choose from over 180,000 different titles, and Audible makes it as easy as ever with the Audible app. So head on over to audible.com slash mad. That's audible.com, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash mad, M-A-D, and start your 30-day free trial today. Yes, 30 days for free, thanks to our friends at Audible. Let's start the show. You sound insane. You realize that? Well, I'm surprised all of us made it in this week, uh, especially one of us. And I do commend you, sir, Richard, for taking the time out of your your day. I thought yeah. you'd take the news a little bit harder than you have. And I, thought you'd, I thought you'd need a week off. It's been a tough month for you. Let's be real. It has. Be, it's about as, about as dark as it can get for me. I guess we should just address the elephant in the room of Prince is no longer with us. American treasure Prince. I think we have the benefit guys to sort of talk about this uh, a few days removed. We've had, it's been uh, less than a week still, but we can sort of react to the reaction. I think the reaction was over. It was more than I thought was possible for a human being. Uh, It's incredible. The, uh, well, that's your first mistake, because as we all know, he was not one of those. A human being. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> He's proven that. I was in L.A. during the time when Michael Jackson passed, and I think this is even bigger than that, as far as the uh, the outpouring and the uh, tribute to him, um, to Prince, is, is incredible. But um, I'll let Richard talk about this, because you're a huge Prince fan, and have been your whole life, and... Uh, mm-hmm. And producer Steven and you have bonded over that numerous times and a lot of great stories. And you brought him to the table and we inducted him into the American Treasure Hall of Fame. And there he shall remain. But, uh, Richard, uh, again, we'll, we'll talk some movie news here in a bit. But we just want to get this, get this over with, I guess. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, we lost one of the, um, not just icons, but of, of pop music, which is certainly that of just kind of, you know, very... Mi- very, I can't think of anyone that could walk into a room in the last 15 years that could kind of shut it down more than Prince. Probably McCartney, maybe Mick Jagger. But if, I mean, it's it's narrow, and and Prince might have been even more theatrical. You know, so we lose an icon, but we also lose, I think, one of the most, you know, technically proficient and prolific uh, musicians of all time. And uh, that sucks. And we, we lose them too young. And I, we're still, though we're removed quite a few days we're still not you know there's there's still not a cause of death officially or anything like that so it's just it's just very sad it's weird to think because i just always thought of prince as being superhuman because he's looked exactly the same as he has um <laughs> forever and played exactly the same and sounded and acted the exact same so it's just like the concept of you know you think about other kind of pop icons like how oh, i'm gonna be really sad when bob dylan dies and oh, i'm gonna be really sad when paul mccartney dies and all these people, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be sad when Michael Jackson dies. And I used to think, gosh, I hope one day I'm cool enough that Prince is sad when I die, because he'll definitely <laughs> outlive. And uh, you know, that's like the thought you have. I kind of had never really considered the fact that Prince would die. Special attachment, yeah. You know, I, I love Prince. Prince was also one of my my uh, uh, deceased mother's favorite musicians. Kind of how I was introduced to him growing up. Prince was always on in my house. 
And so that was just sad on a different level there because it was just, it, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, childhood memories and things like that. Um, you know, just one of the, one of the best. And, uh, the only good thing is I think people are really appreciating maybe people that obviously there's no way you don't know who Prince is, but, uh, people maybe consider him in a different, uh, well, you know, that Tom Petty, uh, George Harrison tribute video that's gone super viral. That's been one of my favorite YouTube videos forever. And it's so cool that so many people are seeing that and, and, and the Super Bowl halftime show, which is, you know, one of my favorite, if not my favorite halftime show ever. Um, and so people that kind of, Kent, you put it well, it's like Prince could play the greatest guitar solo of all time, which he did every night. And people would say, gosh, those pants he had on were crazy, you yeah. know, and, and, and like it was so kind of his, his technique and, and everything was so overshadowed. Kent, you're a musician. I, I wouldn't call yeah. myself a musician, but I play guitar. And like, you know, there's no one, nothing harder to play than the stuff he does. And he would do it while walking around in high heels. Um, it's incredible. The, the one of the, the other things, right. One of yeah. the other things that went viral, uh, following uh, his passing was his Super Bowl performance. Yeah. And what, what an incredible performance, not only because it was a great performance, but the songs that he chose to do, the way he did them was incredible. Like he opens up with "Let's Go Crazy," just like the verse and chorus of it, and yep. then it goes immediately Dearly into beloved. and then he does "Proud Mary," <laughs> the John Fogerty yeah. song, and then he does a, a, a Hendrix tribute, mm-hmm. and then he does a Foo Fighters song, and does "Purple Rain" at the very end. Of course, it's raining outside, and it's the most perfect moment in halftime history. But just he didn't care. He just wanted to put on a good show. He didn't want to yeah. sell his own records or play the hits or whatever. Uh, yeah, he just went out there and did whatever he did. But it's funny because, like, in his Hendrix little bit, it's maybe three bars of Along the Watchtower, but he's just shredding on guitar for maybe two lines, and it's as good as Hendrix, if not better than <laughs> Hendrix. It's like, wow, this guy could be better than Hendrix at guitar. He could yeah. be better than Michael Jackson at singing. He could be the, the greatest songwriter of all time. And he's incredible at drums. He's incredible at keyboards. He's incredible at every single thing you can do. And and like a lot of artists, so quote unquote artists nowadays, the Katy Perrys and the uh, the Lady Gagas. I mean, they're eccentric and they dress crazy, but their music is really standard pop music. Mm-hmm. And Prince's music is just so unique and technical. And I mean, you hadn't heard anything like it. Almost all of his songs sound like nothing you've ever heard. Which is yeah, you know, except Prince for Prince. Right I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's it's more so than even Michael Jackson uh, mm-hmm. was unique, and and that's special too. I mean, he's he's appreciated on so many different levels from the music community, not just for being eccentric. Like David Bowie was recognized for being an incredible songwriter and just extremely eccentric, but David Bowie wasn't going to go up there and and yeah. challenge Jimmy to a guitar solo contest. I mean, or something, yeah. you know sure. that insane there's that story going around that's i mean it may be apocryphal but i've heard it from a lot of different people it was like eric clapton was asked uh what does it feel like to be the, the you know the last great greatest guitar player alive and eric clapton said i don't know you should ask prince exactly you know, i mean someone had enormous respect in his industry and like playing it like imagine being that great a guitar and it being like yeah but i'm also almost as good if not better at piano and i'm an incredible drummer um I mean, just think about he's the last person any musician wanted to see. He's the last person. If you're McCartney (laughs) and you're going on stage at the Grammys and you're backstage and you're about to walk on and then you turn around, you see Prince strapping on your guitar. You're like, oh, God, no, (laughs) 
Yeah. He's the, and you can you can only say that about Prince. I mean, if Springsteen walked in and McCartney was yeah. about to go on, he'd be like, oh, oh, well, it's Bruce, you know? Yeah. But Prince is like, God, oh, he's on a complete, he's like from a different planet. You're exactly right. He really was. I'm convinced he was. <laughs> there was so many funny, I mean, it's sad. I mean, you don't, you want, you don't want to glad of it because though he is an icon, it's still, it's still someone's, someone has died and that is someone's friend and someone's, you know, family and all of that. But some of the kind of things that made me smirk were, where people like kind of doing the um, doing impressions of Prince dying, like Prince looked around, said, "I've seen enough." Uh, tapped his cane four times and disappeared into beautiful purple, <laughs> like purple <laughs> like, cloud of dust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like all the like, of course, like you just can't fathom him being human, um, and just all the great stories that have come out. You know, uh, if, if if you haven't seen, obviously the the classic Charlie Murphy is one of the best sketches ever. Um, if seek that out if you haven't seen it from the Chappelle show um jimmy fallon did one last night talking about playing ping pong with prince um prince seeking him out for like three weeks because he thought jimmy fallon would be fun to play ping pong against um and then jimmy fallon he goes into a club and this ping pong club that susan sarandon owns randomly in new york city like he just gets a text like <laughs> he wants to play you and they're like well he's like okay obviously that's prince so he goes to this club and he's like, I, and he's like, I don't know how to ask. And he's like, I'm here to see Prince. And they take him. And there's this curtain. <laughs> he, he says, he opens, he opens this curtain, and there's this ping pong table, and Prince is standing in front of it in a blue velour, like beautiful suit, holding a ping pong paddle. And he goes, "You ready to do this?" <laughs> and then just crushed him. He found in ping pong, and then disappeared through the night. Uh, and then Questlove caught up, catches up with him later in, in a limo. And he's like, it's just like Grey Poupon. I catch up and I'm because I'm late and I want to know how the game went. The window rolls down and it's just Prince's face. And uh, he goes, what happened? And Prince goes, ask your boy. And the window just rolls back up and he drops <laughs> off. <laughs> That's the coolest person. Yeah. But uh, it's crazy that he, yeah. it's a shame that he didn't do more later in his career. Yeah. He could have put out an, way more but, albums and, and been more visible, but he just was Prince. So he didn't didn't need to, you know makes it great though like and that's the other thing you lose is is in this kind of in the society of the internet and in the society of extreme self-awareness and and meta humor and and everything um i just don't know if there'll ever be someone that was like authentically just eccentric as prince like right he's just very comfortably weird and like you know you hear stories about him being difficult like i don't mind when i hear I stories say, about, i call like, it genius i think he's a, yeah he's exactly a like he's just you know the the advanced genius theory is a great book yeah. if you ever pick it up uh, um but like yeah it's just it's he was just now i don't think everyone's so insecure and and rightfully so on some level it's it's not always a bad thing but you know prince would just be like i need when i you know the the story about him did you hear the story about him renting carlos boozer's house in los angeles <laughs> carlos boozer former nba great has his house in la right and he gets a text one day. It was like, someone wants to rent your house. And he's like, nah, I'm good. I don't really want to rent it. It's like during the season while he's living in Chicago. He's like, I'm, I'm fine. And I go, well, he'll pay you $70,000 a month. And the guy is Prince. And Charles Boozer is like, I am all in. Yes, yeah. absolutely. 70 grand a month, done. So uh, he like, you know, he signs the lease like three months later because Prince is going to be in LA for a while. So like three months later, he goes to like check in on the house and like the gate has been replaced with the Prince symbol. Higher <laughs> house inside and out is purple and like what was the master bedroom is now a hair salon yeah and carlos Bo which is funny if you know carlos boozer i don't yeah. know if they paint or not but awesome um, yeah but he goes 
And he's like, what's going on? This is my house. And Prince is like, it will be okay. So he's like, he ha- he signs the lease. For like, it's like a nine month or like a yeah. year lease. So like the season ends. Uh, Carlos Boozer goes back to his house in LA. He's just reading it. He walks up. It's exactly how it was before <laughs> Prince moved in. It was like he was never there. Like he would just do things like that. That's incredible. Um, like he would, it's just everyone, everyone that interacts with him has a story like that. And they're all great. And it, you know what a treasure! What a yeah! What a, and you know he lived in you know the suburbs of Minneapolis, which is also <laughs> awesome. And he had a compound, and, and it was like this very nondescript office building. If you see pictures of Paisley Park, it looks like where like a software company would be, like you know cloud <laughs> services or something. And then you would walk in apparently, and it was like the most extravagant purple recording studio. It was like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory with music <laughs> studios in it, just awesome. because that, just all know, velvet. What, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's so sad. It's so sad. What a loss to not only music, um, because, you know, even if even if Prince wasn't your cup of tea musically, like, um, don't ever count out the fact of the influence he has on artists you do love. Yeah. Someone has to be out there really blazing that trail of really eccentric, really odd music so that artists that we like can kind of take it down three notches and then make really innovative new art. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's in every form of art. Right. I mean, there's there's painters that are completely incomprehensible, but some other artist comprehends it and makes, you know, the Mona Lisa. Right. Um, right. Prince kind of that guy. And so, like, that's a huge loss culturally. And uh, and he still was, in, you know, he's 57. He's way too young to die, but probably too old to be a relevant musician. But he was still breaking down new barriers of sound and, and just an insane, insane technician. So it's it's really sad. That's right. the thing to me is I'm you know, I've got a couple of Prince records and. I know the hits. I certainly don't know the the back catalog, you know, the B-sides and all that sort of stuff. It's just his persona. It's just like who he was that was so it's not cool like doesn't do it justice, you know? No, exactly. It's just he's it's like you almost have to create a new word to I mean, he created a symbol to be his sure. name. You know what I mean? And it's it's very rare just to kind of harp on something you said, Richard. It's I think it's very difficult to pull off being as mysterious and aloof and and weird and eccentric as he is without people just being like okay i've had it with this dude you know yeah. and instead like for 40 years yeah exactly yeah exactly for 35 years people are just like that is so cool even though <laughs> you're you know if if like kanye did that you like 99 right. of the population would be like i hate you so you yeah. know it's just it's a rare ability. I can't to really be. imagine too many. I don't know. I never really thought about it. But like, does anyone not like Prince on some level? Like, I get not liking the music, but like, who's just yeah. like not a fan of that guy in the zeitgeist? Like, yeah, I know. It, that, it, the the test for that for me is Facebook because Facebook, like, look, Twitter. I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. Facebook is we all know is kind of the the, yeah, uh, the mom uh, crowd. Yeah, it's the mom crowd and. And uh, that's usually where you're going to get that's where you can kind of really see it, what kind of cultural impact uh, a celebrity has when they, you know, if they die or if something tragic happens or, you know, they release new whatever, maybe a new album, a new movie. You can kind of get a glimpse at like what does for lack of a better, better term, like what does middle America think of this person or this band or this movie or whatever? And I was shocked at how full my Facebook feed was with people that I just really didn't expect that were legit bummed out about yeah. uh, about Prince. And I, I think that's that's just, like you said, Richard, I think that's something that the, his persona, I don't know how, I don't know that anybody else is going to be able to pull that off in this 
2016 social media age, you know, like it's so hard to be that odd and mysterious and be genuine about it without people. Right. Uh, it wasn't an act at all. Like it was, it was legitimately who he was. Yeah. Jack white is that way to an extent. Richard, Richard and I are huge Jack white fans and can't, I think we try to sway you. You've converted uh, to our side. Okay. Good deal. Um, but there's a, there's like kind of a constant backlash against Jack white. Just, you know, he's doing a bit and it's not a bit, that's just who he is, but he takes a backlash anyway. And no one, (laughs) no one backlashed against, uh, against Prince for, for 35 years. And it's, that's amazing and uh, huge loss. Obviously, huge loss. He I just imp- liked knowing that Prince was out there. Like that, yes. I don't know how to really yeah. like articulate that more than I can. 100%. But like, it was just good to go yeah. to bed at night knowing somewhere outside of Minneapolis, <laughs> Prince was just doing Prince stuff, and it was just like I just slept better because of it. And I've been bummed for like five days because I know that's not happening. Yeah, apparently he has thousands of songs, dozens of albums and movies and things that he just never put out because. Apparently, he used to have dreams and things that would tell him not to put out an album. Like, he would have an album done, and then he'd have a bad thought about it and just wouldn't put it out. They're we do that with podcasts. We actually yeah. do six or seven podcasts. We, we actually have over 800 <laughs> recorded that we just... Yeah, right. Our review of Rat Race is just spectacular. Just so <laughs> yeah. I'm like, not enough, not enough of the same cup jokes, Richard. Put that one away. <laughs> Back in the vault. Uh, I think the documentary... Have you seen it, Richard? It's called The Search for... Prince's yeah. Vault or Inside Prince's Vault or something that came out maybe two or three years ago. Walt Disney's um, head is in there. His estate, though, his sister has all the rights to his fortune uh, because he had no will when he passed. And uh, in the state of uh, Minnesota, your parents or your siblings get your estate. And yeah. apparently his parents aren't with us. Kids, and he, he? No. I never really thought about that. I never really no. thought that there's no Prince kids. That sucks. I think he was married. He just never had kids. Yeah. Uh, but he, his sister gets it, an estimated fortune of $800 million. And uh, that's more than Michael. J- Michael Jackson's was a half a billion. So I, yeah. that surprised me. I heard there his, was some financial difficulties be... because he would never sell the catalog. Yeah, like Jackson. Cause he, it's because he owned, owned, still owns the master recordings of all his right. music. So like I think that I think that net worth isn't necessarily liquid, and like this is crappy to say, but I hope there kind of is some financial issue where they have to sell some of it because I just I want to hear it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel yeah. like if it's eight hundred million liquid, we'll never hear any of that stuff. But like I hope that there is something they have to pay off because I want to hear. I, there's like a record with Miles Davis. Uh, there's a more like there's a bunch of jazz albums that he made. I think it'll there's come out. Like, it'll definitely. Yeah. I, I would. Like I would jazz, assume just it would. him on jazz piano, like Thelonious Monk style. There's one of those. Like, I mean, what a freak. And I mean, I mean that as a compliment. I mean, what a right. just a master of of life. He'll be missed, and his legacy will live on. And uh, Purple Rain returned to the theaters this week in honor of him. So if you're at AMC, I think is doing that. For AMC near you, I know the one that I saw the movie of the week. Uh, they were showing Purple Rain, so I think if you get in this week, you can see it on the big screen. Uh, but VH1 and uh, AMC, the channel, have been uh, played it through. Oh, cool! Movie news, yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. We do have movie news to talk about, guys, and this involves Marvel. And this was rumored for a while, Brian. I don't know if you've seen this news. But uh, one of our favorite people, one of your favorite people, uh, Nathan Fillion, is joining the Guardians. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. As a what's the what's the character Wonder Man? Is that the character's I think so. name? That's the rumor. Okay, I saw uh, Alan Sepinwall was tweeting about it because Alan Sepinwall is a huge comic nerd from way back, and so anytime there's like uh, comic book casting, he will put up a little blurb of like what that character is and what he does or she does, and if it's a good or good casting or bad casting, etc. And he was he was on board, so that's that's good. I I like. You know, Fillion's a fun dude. Um, I think he's kind of past his expiration point, but even still, I think he belongs in the Marvel Universe and especially in Guardians. I think that's a good fit for him with the James Gunn connection. And so, yeah, a little, a little, it seems like it's not going to be necessarily a cameo, but it's a small role, right? That's what I've read anyway. Right. Uh, small role and, in, the, in Guardians Volume 2. Right. Maybe bigger later, maybe, obviously. But. Right. Ties in somewhere else later down the line, but. Seppenwall was a was big on it. I trust Seppenwall pretty pretty big time on on that sort of thing. Uh, but he he showed some pictures from comics of of Wonder Man and just talked about how cool the guy was. And it sounds like it's a good. It sounds like it was a good fit for for Fillion to pull off. Yeah, there was a rumor he was going to be in the first one in the role of Nova, that never came to fruition. Who was a member yeah. of the Nova Corps, which was in the film. That's who the Glenn Close character was uh right, with right and uh never came to fruition i like nova nova's a really cool looking character kind of an iron man rocketeer kind of looking character and that would have been a good fit i'm surprised joss whedon didn't mm-hmm. try to work him in to the avengers at some point i'm sure he did actually i'm sure he <laughs> probably auditioned him because he's a favorite of whedon's obviously because of serenity or firefly right and he had him in that uh what was the shakespeare thing he did uh, much, he, about, much, much do yeah. about nothing. Did you ever see that, yeah. Richard? You like I that? Did. That super southern nuts do about nothing. Couldn't yeah. couldn't talk right there. That was nice. That was real sophisticated. <laughs> no, it was good. It was cool. It was a cool version. Black and white, if yeah. I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The uh if you're looking ever for good Shakespeare on film, just aside like weekly recommend here, the uh all the Kenneth Branagh stuff is really good. Yeah. Definitely. It's like the most true way to do it. Like his um Door. His yeah. much ado about nothing's really good, and there's a there's a bunch of and the Ethan Hawke Hamlet, yeah. The Ethan Hawke Hamlet is worth a watch just for kind of laugh. Did you ever see the Fassbender Hamlet? Uh, Macbeth. Big, I haven't seen Macbeth. Macbeth. I haven't seen it yet either. I was super stoked about that, and then it never got much of a theater release, and then kind of forgot about it. I saw that Cumberbatch do Hamlet. At uh, a theater here in Dallas. I mean, he he was it was a simulcast of London, but that's uh, yeah. He was just here randomly. Alma draft house, read the whole play. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I really want to see that Macbeth. But it just yeah, is that out? Can I like stream? I think it's yeah, out it's, on I, Blu-ray. It and is things. out. Yeah, right. I need to go because I love uh, Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard. Yeah, yeah. I never. I don't do not know what her voice sounds like. To this day, she is a different. Same with Idris Elba. I don't know what their real voice sounds like <laughs> because they're so yeah different and everything. I, I legit do don't accents. think. I don't think Idris Elba knows himself. I really don't. I think he's. I, he's I said a that a couple of weeks ago, but I'm. I really don't think he knows what. Like he's yeah, when, when him he and Daryl Hammond are in a room together. They're just silent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. When uh when I was in college, I lived across the hall from a girl who was from Ireland. But then she moved to Kentucky when she was thirteen or something like that, and it was the most confusing accent you've ever ever. I had heard. that as, like, as a kid because uh, 
my mom was from Ireland and uh, my dad is from Duluth, Minnesota, and I was raised in Texas. So I just did not know how to speak. I just didn't talk for like the first 11 years of my life. Yeah. I, Richard only speaks Japanese the first 11 yeah, years. I know. Just, it's terrible. To try to just like, differentiate himself. Yeah. Yeah. In other Marvel news, kind of relevant to the Guardians, they have confirmed, I guess Lord Miller have confirmed that uh, Star-Lord will be involved in the Avengers. Uh, not, uh, nice. I guess, the next Avengers movies, the Infinity War, if you will, one and two. So that's kind of cool. So we know we have Ant-Man and Star-Lord uh, to look forward to. And I'm assuming Spider-Man will be involved in the new Avengers as well. Sure. I wonder how long... Sure, sure, sure. I wonder Just how expanding long, big time. Big time. And I wonder how long uh, Chris Evans is going to stay around uh, in the Captain America. I think they're kind of want to make yeah. a transition there pretty soon. It's kind of interesting. We thought it would be sooner. It was always going to be... Anthony Mackie, like his character was right. uh, the Falcon was going to become or Captain America, or at least it was in the comics. And when they cast him, that was the rumor and all that. I don't know what the deal is. I guess when Captain America Civil War breaks all the records, they're going to want to keep Chris Evans locked up right. as long as they can. And I, it's interesting um, that it's kind of the James Bond effect. Like none of these people have really blown up um, into like other films as much like Chris Evans has done a few things, but you know, th there's no reason to leave because this is the b mm -hmm. biggest thing he does every year. Yeah. Right? I mean, whereas Downey, know... Downey, Downey can go do other stuff. So there's always that pressure there, but like, right. I mean, even now we thought, uh, you know, Hemsworth was good, but he's had like four flops in a row. So maybe he'll just be Thor forever. Yeah. yeah I think Downey kind of knows he won't, he won't be do yeah. anything as big as Iron Man. But I mean, Downey right. could have done Gravity and said no to Gravity. Like Downey could do some big stuff if he wanted to. It seems yeah. like he does Iron Man and then like small indie, like stuff like Chef and things, like smaller right. movies. But go ahead. And that's cool. That's what he should do because he's so good at those small roles. It's fun to see him do something different. I know when Winter Soldier came out, there was a lot of talk about Chris Evans basically saying like, I don't really want to act anymore. I want to be a director. And and then oh, Winter good. Soldier was such a huge that. hit that. I don't know what his contract deal is, but I would imagine that after Warner Soldier was like, I mean, look, dude, how about we give you forty million instead of twenty? I mean, I'm sure he's getting paid very well uh, at this point, so it's hard to turn that stuff down, right? I mean, that's why Robert Downey Jr. keeps doing it is because he makes seventy million dollars every time he shows up in the Marvel movie. So why would you quit doing that? You know? Yeah, and speaking of him, he is confirmed to be in Spider-Man: Homecoming soon. Yeah. Yeah. So he's gonna keep getting them checks. I mean, that's all you can really do. <laughs> hey, those protein. I mean, you're, he legit makes like, it's a huge amount of money every time. It's not. I'm. That's. I mean, I'm probably exaggerating a little, but he makes at least fifty million dollars every time. He I think pops he made up, fifty so. million dollars on the first Avengers movie. Like that was what they wanted yeah. from him to do that. And like after that, I mean, it's just been huge. So it's huge. no His telling what he's making though. Awesome. Because yeah, he gets totally. some back end too, doesn't he? Yes, he sure. gets yeah. back end on it. So. Rich. He's the world's richest, or the Act. highest paid actor, or, uh, apparently. Right. Uh, Jennifer well, Lawrence and Downey hold those titles, I think, still. In the cup. In the cup. <laughs> he just highest, paid, highest paid cup. There, it's definitely <laughs> Stanley Cup and then the cup. Neck and neck. <laughs> All right. So, Chris Pratt, going to be in Avengers. As Star Lord, that's exciting. And maybe another franchise now for him. This Magnificent Seven trailer. Have you have you guys seen this? 
I did. What are I, our thoughts on this? We got some tweets about it, so. <laughs> it looks, okay, it looks good, but it's, I was not expecting that tone at all. Like, that was a very different approach. It's been a long time since I've seen Magnificent Seven, but that's, I mean, that's a masterpiece of a film and very well respected over, you know, 50, <laughs> 50 years. So, like, multiple generations that will tell you that's an incredible film, and that's, that's a different take. I, I was a little surprised. I'm not sure if it's a good surprise or bad surprise, but that definitely seems like they're going their own way. Is it Antoine Fuqua seen, that's doing yeah, it? Antoine is that? Okay. All right. Yeah, it's kind of, that's up yet. and down. What's, what's you haven't seen tone? it? No, I haven't. I haven't gotten to it yet. It's very... It, I mean, I for me, Brian, it was, it was just solid Django Unchained trailer for me. Like, it's almost kind of just playing yeah, off that that's, tone. That's with better. The um, music syncing up I got to the gunshots like, and all that. Yeah, I, it was very. Yeah, it was very stylized and and uh, kind of. Uh, it, I don't know. I don't know how to describe. It. You just need to see it, Richard. It's like it's kind. Of, it's almost like you remember. What, like it's like Knight's Tale almost. Like it seems like they're gonna do this uh, western okay. with uh, with modern music, like that kind of thing. It. I'm not saying it's bad. It just took me by surprise. I I thought this was gonna be more of a direct mm, remake just because right. magnificent seven is so old but it doesn't seem like that's the route that's is it do we going. get good denzel or know. bad denzel which denzel is that's he? always the question right that's okay. always the question i mean he looks he's barely in the trailer he never he doesn't say anything okay. in the trailer okay. hardly. it's it's more prat <laughs> yeah there you go and uh, uh what who a, else what a guy? denzel okay. denzel is awesome this looks to be well shot no this looks to be like the trailer yeah, it, i mean it looks looks great um it's cool to kind of have story Ethan Hawke like and the Denzel actors. back together. Because those two yeah. are randomly awesome together. Like the last two mm-hmm. actors you think you would pair. Yes. And they're just yeah. fantastic. So Training yeah, so. Day is like incredible. The two of them going back and forth I know. is really stinking. Like very did underrated. Guys, I don't think... Did you guys hear Ethan Hawke? It was probably a month or two ago on uh, on Mark Maron's pod. I didn't know. Good. You should go back and find that. That's one of the best one of those I've ever heard. You should really listen to it. He talks a lot about the dynamic with him and Denzel and the kind of purposefulness of it and how how he decided to kind of treat that role and to try to get something different out of both himself and Denzel. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's kind of And a, then Marin talks about his dad for Does he talk about hours, um so. working with <laughs> does he talk about working with Linklater at all? In the, a ton. Yeah, really? A ton. It's yeah. It's a great no Marin did a great job. I, it's just funny he's it's fun to make fun of other podcasters. No, it's a great, great interview. And uh and uh it's 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 fantastic. I, I recommend to you guys and our listeners if you like, uh, even if you're not a big Ethan Hawke guy, which I wouldn't really classify myself as. If you're interested in like kind of the the art of film acting and and, and like a, a long career, it's it's really inter- it's a great interview. I will check that out. And speaking of link later, guys, let's talk. Everybody wants some, but before we do that, it's time for our Audible recommend. Uh, this week it comes from Brian Gill. Brian. Yeah, so this last weekend I had to make a drive, and that's always, uh, at least for me, that's the prime time to listen to an Audible book on my phone as I'm on the road. And so uh, I looked through my my wish list and my queue, and I picked out a novel called Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. It came out in 2014, I think, so it's fairly recent. It's almost an oral history without being stated as an oral history, I guess, as a kind of a post-apocalyptic look at the United States after a virus takes down like 99% of the population and 
The main character is part of a Shakespearean acting troupe that travels around the Great Lakes region uh, doing Midsummer Night's Dream and Hamlet and such like things like that uh, in tiny little towns in, again, post-apocalyptic United States. Very well written. I'm not quite finished with it yet and well read. Uh, highly recommend it. A lot of fun. Station 11, Emily St. John Mandel. So head on over to audible.com slash mad. Start your free trial today. Download Station 11 for a great listening experience. And thanks again to our friends at Audible for sponsoring this episode. And now let's uh, welcome in our guest. So we are pleased to be joined by our dear friend, Emily Robinson. Emily, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Well, we're going to put you through the ringer here like we do with all our guests. Fair enough. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the movies you like. Oh, gosh. Um... She didn't know the show was movie themed. You, that was a curveball. <laughs> yeah, I'm that on the wrong cool. show. I'm gonna have to go. I'm sorry. No. Uh, Did you grow well, up on any like... franchises or anything? Were you a Star Wars or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or anything like that? I was Star Wars, not by choice, uh, but by my father. <laughs> so by blood. You um, will watch Star Wars. <laughs> but That's like Brian. Now, That's Brian. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. Emily, let me. I don't mean to sidetrack you, but do you have any like comp? We're just. This is just educational for Brian. He has a three-year-old. Do you have any complexes <laughs> or like addictions or anything you think because of that? Is it ruined your life in any way? A little bit, uh, a little Good. bit. But okay. I mean, it'll okay. be okay. Take heed, Brian. Yeah, you got plenty of time to correct those issues down the road. I think so. <laughs> That's so, what therapy's for. Right? I want to ask you one more thing, and that is, have you seen? Now you see me. <laughs> I have, yes, sadly, embarrassingly, I have seen Now You See Me. So now you have to answer the follow-up question. Great movie or greatest movie? I, answer I don't Great movie it's, or greatest? It's a great movie. It's a great All right. movie. Okay, got you down. We'll, we'll put you, yeah, we'll put you down for great. <laughs> Emily Robinson, Now You See Me, great movie. Quote. <laughs> we'll put that on, the, on the movie poster. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, so you... Uh, you emailed us, right? And yeah. and uh, and uh, kind of a humble brag there. We do have a function email account. And <laughs> you emailed us and said that you had seen a screening of 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 this film that we're going to review today. Everybody wants some, and it had kind of special circumstance. So we wanted to bring you on and talk to you about that. And uh, aside from all the embarrassing, uh, now you see me related questions. Get your get your <laughs> thoughts on it, but also kind of explain explain to our audience and us kind of the circumstances in which you saw the film. And uh, kind of give a brief, uh, without getting into spoilers or too deep, a uh, brief overview of your thoughts on it. Yeah, great, great. So I guess the best way to explain my screening was the producers of the film, it's produced by Annapurna P Pictures, came to our school because they're trying to get college students to see this movie because obviously um, this is a very... Uh, college-oriented film takes place in a college, sure. uh -huh. and so they had events all week with the some of the actors from the film, Justin Street and Temple Baker, two of the uh, baseball players in the movie, and one of the uh, I believe executive producers of the movie, and they talked about working with. Uh, they affectionately call him Rick. Yes, I I would call him Richard Linklater, <laughs> but they called him Rick and. Um, does he know, now, does he know Bob De Niro? Yeah, I would say, <laughs> okay. and Marty, Marty as well. Marty Scorsese, yeah, Marty. They know yeah. Marty Scorsese yep. too, cool. <laughs> and, yeah, so they just kind of explained the process of making the film, 
why he wrote it, you know, uh, basically just his mindset going in. So I thought that would be an interesting kind of perspective that most viewers don't get to uh, know about. Yeah. So what did he say about his inspiration for Everybody Wants Some? We know this is sort of a loose sequel to Dazed and Confused. Obviously not the same characters, not the same time. Dazed and Confused was 1976. This is 1980. I guess if it was a direct sequel, it would have been 77 or something like that. Kind of like a spiritual Spiritual sequel. Uh, What did did Linklater say about it? Yeah, so they are using the term (laughs) spiritual sequel, which I don't know if that was really um, Richard Linklater's concept for it. I think that might have been more of a producing move um or a, a, a i guess like a marketing move yeah 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 uh i know that what i'm told from richard and from indirectly of course i don't have him on speed dial or anything but he yeah it, it was, we should add parenthetically right you never know um <laughs> this could send me right to yeah oh, okay. no so <laughs> he he could not no one would make this film because he wrote it back in the nineties actually. And oh, wow. yeah, so this has not been, this, I mean, this has been a while in the making and this is his experience in college. He didn't go to film school. Um, he just kind of hung out with guys and these, these characters are based off real people. The real people were there at some point, uh, for, for parts of filming. And he just wanted to say, this is how I felt at this time in my life. I think people can relate. I just want to do a, they kept saying snapshot. That's their, their phrase. He's a snapshot filmmaker. So he just kind of shows you mm-hmm. points in time and kind of makes you feel, you know, nostalgic about it. So that's why, you know, there may not be a, as much of a plot or uh, things like that. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it seems to be more of the same from Linklater, but not like I can complain about that. That's interesting yeah. that right. he it's interesting that he couldn't get this made. You would think Oh yeah, Linklater right. is a very respected filmmaker and you would yeah, but confused the, the alien big. attack scene was expensive at the right. end. <laughs> and unexpected, I should add. You mean you the, yeah. there was no alien attack scene. That was the problem, I think. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's my biggest yeah. complaint. I heard him on a podcast or maybe on Conan or something but talking about having trouble getting this produced and he said multiple times when he brought this into a studio or, you know, an executive's office, it was, yeah, this sounds great. Love it. Uh, can we get McConaughey to play the coach? And he's like, why, why would Wooderson be a coach? And that like, he's a total screw up. There's no way he's a coach. He's a baseball coach at a college. It doesn't make any sense. And yeah. he's just like, this is what I got over and over is trying to attach it to, you know, McConaughey or directly attach it to Days and Confused. And he's just like, that's not that's not what this is. It's not what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, it seems that the, the there was a character that was sort of a Wooderson type of guy. Uh, the Buter character sure. was yeah, mm-hmm. I got a McConaughey yeah. vibe from that, at least the actor and uh, the country vibe there. But let's get into general thoughts uh, on the movie. And I guess we'll start with Brian. Uh, you saw this last night. You're about a day removed. <laughs> I did, from yeah. It. So thoughts, mm-hmm. general thoughts. I love, I love Linkletter and I, I'm so, I'm glad that we're kind of in like sort of a, almost a renaissance for him because Days and Confused is one of my favorite movies of all time and uh, School of Rock's great, Bernie's great, but it, there was this kind of dip for a while where he was off making movies that um, either weren't very good or just 
were difficult to access, I think. Like, Scanner Darkly, I totally get why he did Scanner Darkly. It's kind of a difficult movie to, to get into. The, uh, what's the trilogy with uh, the Sunset before trilogy? Sunset, that after yeah. Sunset, yeah, Before Midnight. Wind. Those are really, really good films, but they're they're not ones that I love to sit down and rewatch, I guess. Um, yeah. I would say that. But he's, anyway, he, he's, he's kind of got this stride going right now between Bernie and then Boyhood, which is totally just a masterpiece to me. And and now this. Um, I think what I what I love about about him as a writer and director, we spend so much time reviewing movies. Uh, I'm very plot oriented. I like a, a big, complex plot if you can do it correctly. Um, and, you know, and then when there's movies like, uh, Batman v Superman that totally botched the plot as well as everything else. But the plot was a major sticking point for me with Batman v Superman. It was like, none of this makes sense. It's too complex and it's going all over the place. Like I'll harp on that stuff all day long. But to be um, fair, Brian, it was, I thought a nice tip of the cap that every player on this baseball team had a mom with the same name. And I just thought that was <laughs> right. a cool yeah. kind of... <laughs> what the coach is looking for in recruiting yeah, just, exactly uh, well, brings the team together they're around. all brothers right. now exactly yeah but he didn't tell them all <laughs> they have to discover it on their own yeah well yeah um, they were about to fight they were they were really not right. getting along wait i oh, know you're telling me your mother's name is martha <laughs> uh yeah we're best brother. friends <laughs> let's go win a state title um <laughs> what i love what i love about link letter and i think he did this to the extreme in boyhood and it worked beautifully this is like a little bit less than that but he takes he seems to understand everyday life better than almost any director out there consistently he understands it it's not just like a one-time thing he he gets the art of or the not even the art like the he understands what it's like to just sit around a house and talk to people and i think there's he finds the art in it in the depth yes i think it's a lot of people do slice of life and it's like all right and it's right yeah find some depth without pretension it's just it's kind of a natural gift for him yes and and this is just more of the same like he just really he takes these people i love the characters because they're all real people uh emily you said like he based him off of real people from his life but even if that wasn't true um we all know every single person in this movie right like we've this is these are very uh true to life people we all know uh a guy like uh uh, what's the main characters we know we all know a jake we all know uh a mcreynolds for sure we all know a willoughby like every every character in this is so real and i think that's what makes the movie tick uh, and move in the right direction is because there's no there's really no build up or set up to the characters or the 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 plotting or the setting at all. It's just you know, hey, here's a here's a little thing. Three days before class starts, here's Jake, and he walks into this house and meets all these guys, and immediately you're like, I know that guy, and I know that guy, and I know that guy, and I so I don't need any build up. Like I know exactly who these people are and he's so good at casting and uh i am i'm really impressed with the casting even more so than some of his his past films which he's always been good at that um but to be able to take people who you may know who they are like there's a few people in the cast that i recognize their face from other stuff there's a guy from like the walking dead and uh mcreynolds was in road to perdition when he was a kid like i i recognize some of the faces but i don't know most of these people as actors and he uses that to great effect to just make you feel like you're just in a house with a bunch of baseball players in 1980 and it man it works so well um i love the way that he 
that they produced the film of, of I mean, he really did how all these guys come and stay with him like on his property. He's got like a bunkhouse on his property. He had them come and hang out and just kind of uh, bond together so that you would get sort of a realistic take uh, on the film. And it works. It works beautifully. There's nothing to this movie. Like it doesn't have any plot or any real um, depth to it beyond the characters themselves and just that we can all as an audience relate to what these people are, are who these people are and what they're going through. And that's what I think that's what makes it work. And it's why it's why he is such an to me is such a genuine, honest filmmaker. And this is just another one of those when you're like, that's just that's real. It's real life. And it feels uh, it's fun and it's enjoyable to watch. And it's not a, a beat down, which I'm, some of these movies, when you're trying to do slice of life, like that's what you, you tend to fall into is just kind of the depressing side of life. And this isn't it. And man, I loved it. I, this is one of my favorite top three probably movies of the of the year so far. Really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I think, man, I don't know if there's a director out there that. I just enjoy more than Linklater. I mean, I was, I was like smiling the entire time watching this movie. You know, it just gives you so such good feeling. It's such it's such a throwback. It's nostalgic. It makes you. I, I mean, I didn't even grow up in this time, and I felt like I had lived it. Does that make sense? Uh, I mean, he, yeah. You call yeah, him same. a snapshot yeah. filmmaker. I think it's just such a genius way for him to say it. I mean, each of these scenes, you kind of remember a time when that happened to you. Or you can relate to that. I mean, there are so many. I don't want to get into spoilers. I, I I'll go specifics later. But there are so many scenes uh, where, like, man, I thought me and my friends were the only one that did that, you know, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And he's so he's so great at that. But talk about snapshot. I love the the fact that this place this takes place, you know, right when everyone gets to school and before the first day, like when really nothing yes. happens in college. There's no. It's not a homecoming. It's not, uh, there's not during finals or anything. There's no plot around that. It's just like they're at school there. The, the plot around that, I guess, would be Jake kind of going to the baseball team and meeting everybody and all that, trying to fit in with them and things like that. But we never, I mean, he joins the baseball team. We, we don't know if they won any games. We don't know if they were even a good team when it was all said and done. And, uh, we don't know if any of these relationships work out in the end, like they meet each other. Right. We don't really need to know anymore because this is such a snapshot and just kind of a personal look at just these couple weeks or these couple days, actually, I think it's three days, uh, right. these people's, uh, lives. So I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Richard, this is a really beautiful film about like a not very beautiful thing. And, and it, it means a lot to, uh, it's just interesting study on on human behavior, and I I have some more thoughts, but uh, you know I'll, I'll most of them are echoing with you guys, so I'll try to say something original. Um, I love this film. I I I thought it was great. I I I think Lynn Clutter, you know, he's he's eventually this style is going to backfire on him because it's at one point some movie's going to not be interesting for some reason. He's able to make it interesting always, um, and I kind of thought maybe this one something about the release date would seem odd to me, and like yeah. everything about it. And I was like, this might be the one that's just like kind of bleh. And it was great. It was so cool. Yeah. And and he's so prolific. You know, like we were talking about Prince earlier. Like you, you get a new one of his films like every year, and if it doesn't mm -hmm. come out that year, you know he's working on something like Boyhood like for twelve years. Or something. Right. Um. Yeah. He's just the, he's just the best, and and especially as like, you know, he's just someone you appreciate more and more the older you get. Um. And it's such a depth of work. And yeah, he's such a great. Um. You know those kind of people that uh you have friends like this where. 
they're just such open people and so soulful that you go to dinner with them or you go grab a couple drinks with them or something and then like you end up telling them your whole life and everything that's going mm-hmm. on and yeah. even though they may not be one of your closest friends just, he's like that as a filmmaker like he's able to just yeah. draw this like humanness out of out of life and uh that's a great and, way and to show. put it gosh yeah and and uh he he he, he he, he, he makes you like look kind of at, yeah. He makes you look back really at your like own life and think, man, yeah. that was significant. I should have appreciated that moment more. You know, like when I was but, with my friends and doing this this crap, this stupid crap. You know, <laughs> I should have realized that it's it's bonding and you know all that. I mean, he just he hits he hits home on so many notes, uh, yeah. especially with this movie. I think, and he does it. The thing that's great about him is, and and I don't I don't necessarily think it's better or worse than than a lot of people, but you know, there's there's other. I'm trying to think of an example. There's someone like, like let's take like a Woody Allen for example. That's that's also really able to draw out human thought and philosophy and existence and things out of film. But it feels very written, and it, and, it, and and for the best, a lot of times you're like, wow, what a great writer he is. I think it's great sure. about Linklater is it seems like he's just listening. It never seems yeah. active. Oh, man. It's like a mm-hmm. passive. It's like a passive uh, listening. That he's just kind of letting the camera roll. Of course, he wrote all this. I mean, I'm not saying that he didn't. Actually, but... yeah. What's really interesting about that is the actors said what what Linklater did after he wrote this was when they were all on that ranch, like you said, he would just listen to them talk to each other. Yeah. And they said you would never. He he. They said he was very mild. You would never even notice really that he was paying any attention. He looked like he was just zoning out. And then the next day, all these phrases and all these jokes they had would be in the script. So okay. he was always just kind of observing their yeah. behavior yeah. and then just kind of putting it back. So that's why it seems so natural and real. It seems like a kind of curb your enthusiasm way to make a movie, which we don't see yeah. very much. Kind of yeah. Yeah, lay out the plot. Maybe, you know, like you said, give them the script. And then it, once everybody knows it and then from there on, you can kind of make with it what you want. But Emily, uh, what did you think of the movie? We haven't even got your thoughts on that yet. Yeah, I... I really, I really did it. It's a fun movie. I don't understand how you, you could not enjoy watching it. But mm. at, especially as a college student, I mean, I'm living this time right now. So it rang so true to me. So especially for people who grew up in that time, I can't imagine how accurate of a portrayal, you know, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish kids my age were going to see this movie. But I tell my friends about this. They're like, who's Richard Linklater? You know, nobody <laughs> really knows. Yeah who he is. But another thing I thought was interesting is the, you know, it keeps getting compared to dazed and confused. Um, I think that's just because yeah, it's a similar cinematic kind of style. Cause it's the same director, Yeah. but most of the actors, someone actually in the audience after the screening asked the actors, you know, did he have you guys watch dazed and confused or, and they had never seen it. So <laughs> it really wasn't, you know, it really wasn't a day's confuse. It's a whole separate kind of entity. Can you guys hear so, that? It's raining really hard here. <laughs> oh, I don't know yeah. if you can hear that. Yeah. But if there's noise, I, I apologize. Yeah. It's like a hurricane outside. But continue, Emily. Yeah. That's interesting. No, I just, it's raining yeah, hot takes from Emily is what it's raining. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, guys. Uh, yes, yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> so that, they had never seen Days of Confuse. What? What kind of insight know, did they right? give you as far as the casting of this movie? Because That's, what Brian yeah. Brian hit on a good note in the fact that everything just seems so natural to his movies and to the characters, and it almost didn't seem like you're watching a movie. Uh, you're seeing these yeah. people really act these events. 
And it, it, it never seems like acting in the fact that he can find unknowns that are perfectly perfect for every right. single role. Right. I mean, you're like, why haven't I, why don't I know that guy, you know? And right, uh, right, right. It, it's so flawless. I just don't, uh, his, his eye for talent is like Judd Apatow mm-hmm. level. I mean, more yeah. better Judd Apatow, but not for straight, you know, slapstick adult comedy, Yeah, but kind of yeah. guys that really have depth to themselves and personality and uh, a lot of charisma, but also yeah. kind of remind you of somebody that, that, you know, I mean, he, he right. was obviously looking for specific people, but I feel like he matched them perfect. If not, I mean, it Absolutely. just felt so, so natural. It felt like these guys were actually friends in in real life. So what, yeah. what kind of insight yeah. did they give you on the casting process? What's interesting is another reason, you know, when I say you wrote this in the nineties and it took, you know, it's 2016 and it's just now getting released. He just waited until he found the cast he wanted. They said he looked oh, at, wow. you know, thousands of kids. If he didn't find somebody who he said this, you know, this fits what I want, this kid's going to take off. Then he just didn't cast them. And interestingly, one of the kids, his name's Plummer, a little bit more of one of the minor team members, but he was a college yeah. student and just went to an open casting call. He's never been in anything else. So he just picks up, you know, people mm-hmm. like that and is able to pull that out of them because the kid is just a college frat guy, you know, he isn't anything. The plumber was actually the one that was most authentically bro and everything. Was he that guy? Was he kind of the short stocky guy? Yeah. yeah the catcher that yeah. really kind of freaks out when they have that smoke session and everything. Yeah, that yeah, that it, guy, he was the most authentic. That's interesting that you say that because I'd never heard of this guy. It's like, where did they find this guy, this kid, who, if he's not an actor, I mean, he must be a great actor because he's pulling this off so flawlessly. But I guess it was just was, a lot yeah. of improv and, and just great direction more than anything. Yeah, and when you talk to him in real life, he's exactly the same. I think that really is, I think he likes to pick people who he feels like the characters, you know, who you know they emulate them in real life i think he really does try to find people matthew mcconaughey yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think matthew mcconaughey was sort of the same deal is that he just kind of walked on set one day and they're like this guy's crazy he's got to be in the movie and like that's Mm -hmm. almost kind of what happened i think he just tried to steal my lincoln no what happened was (laughs) what happened was linklater met him at a bar in austin like while they were shooting and put him in the movie and it was exact wooderson you know in the uh, in the bar, the same personality, and it's just so unique that you gotta put it on camera, you know. And a couple Oscar, right. an Oscar later, I think Linklater was right. But so many memorable scenes in this, like so many, like you would see in a montage thirty years from now. I mean the the scene, of course, he's moving in and everything, but the first place they go, they're doing the rapper's delight song in the car, yeah. and it's so great and. What Linklater is, I mean, he could just give you a verse or, you know, a little snapshot of that, like while they're going mm-hmm. to the next place, but he does almost the whole song and it's so yeah. awesome. It's like just this random musical number almost. And, and Linklater is obviously known for using popular music and great songs. And this was some more of the same again from him and the fact that, man, what a great use of music this was. And I guess nothing really brings back memories for people quite like music does especially music during the time when you were that age and boyhood sort of the culmination of that you know he used songs that were popular during those years during the kids you know the same year the kids were um 
being shown on screen or the, the different scenes, what years those were. So that was a very clever way to do this. But I mean, the music alone, the soundtrack of this is going to be classic. It's going to be another Days and Confused yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just yeah. awesome. Um, but Brian, any particular scenes that uh, you really liked? I think the best thing about the movie. In a lot of ways, and this is not just it, this is how Linkletter does it. Is yes, there are several scenes that kind of stick out, but it's it's more about the flow of the film as a whole. Like every scene works with the next scene, and it just uh, it all kind of rolls together into this one kind of two hour. It's it's almost like a romp. Like it's a really fun movie. It doesn't take itself too seriously, and so you just have all this this. For, for almost two hours, you just kind of get a flow of like, man, this is just a fun. I like hanging out with these guys, and I, I like seeing what happens. You know, the the various bars that they that they go to over the course of the three nights, that's a lot of fun. I loved that this movie doesn't build up to the big game, and I think that probably does. If, it's, if it gets produced by a studio and it gets more financing and all that, like beyond the things that we talked about of like, McConaughey for some reasons is the coach and all this sort of stuff. I think it you have a narrative that they're they've got a they're trying to win the national championship and it's just building towards that. And that's the stuff that bores me with most sports movies. Despite loving sports, like I don't really care for the average uh sport movie because it's like, okay, but I know where the narrative's going. I don't really you know, it's not that interesting. And this one, there's not really anything that it's building towards, period, because it's not what the movie's about. But the practice sequence is really awesome and it's a really fun it's just letting i don't know the, the fact that he just kind of lets the camera go um while they're having an uh, you know a a bp unorganized bp scrimmage it's great because that there's stuff. no coach at the practice either yes, so it's it, all yeah. the guys having to organize the practice yes, it's yeah. just them being yes and and you get to see you know, you've spent at that point, you've spent about an hour and a half with with all these characters. And so you've seen them off the diamond. And now you're going to see them kind of especially like McReynolds and a couple of the other guys, but like how they morph into their competitive personalities on the field. And when I it's just I really thought that was a great sequence and handled with such grace that I think you only get from. A, a director who is so good at just kind of letting the camera linger like Linkletter is. But also somebody who gets sports, you know. I, I feel like most most sport movies are directed by somebody who um, probably says, "Yeah, I really like football," but hasn't really spent time watching football or be or playing football or being engaged in football. And you know, Linklater was a Linklater was a he was a college baseball player. So it's like all these things that I think he gets better than. Uh, the average sport movie. So it's interesting, I guess, for me of just to wrap that thought up of this is not a sports movie. It's not really gearing towards that sort of genre or even building towards that that big moment, the big game or anything like that. And yet it handles sports so much better than, I don't know, 95 Such an authentic way to see a team. Like it's yeah. the most realistic look yeah. at a baseball team yeah. that we've maybe seen right. on screen. And you know, the dynamic, yeah. yes, totally. Yeah. The dynamic between McReynolds and the crazy guy, uh, Niles is really awesome because you get to see, you get to see McReynolds. McReynolds is my favorite character in this movie for some reason. Like he, to what? me that he just seemed like the most authentic person out of a lot of other people who are very authentic. Like I just, I feel like I know that guy so well and to see him go from the 
over competitive uh, jackhole in the house to on the field, like the guy who kind of keeps everybody straight and puts people in their place, but is also like the whole scene of him, like saying, we're cool. It's fine. Like that's just so real. Like we've all, I don't know. We've all had that experience on the court or the field or whatever it may be. And I thought that whole sequence was just so, uh, so genuine. And I, I don't know. It struck me as like, that's almost like that's kind of a microcosm of this whole movie. Like if he, re- he really gets this so much better than I, than I feel like you, you typically see in, in, in a, you know, a movie about college or a sports movie or whatever. Like he's just out here just doing his thing and being link ladder and it works so well. And I, for me, the, the, the baseball sequence is what kind of tied it all together in a lot of ways, even though again, that's not the point of the movie and it's not building towards this big, you know, game moment or whatever. It's just the natural progression of where these characters are headed. Yeah. The scene that you're talking about when I guess Jay is his name, Justin streets character that kind of really, it's funny that Linklater can snapshot like a, those athletes that are, that would never fit in in society to begin with, but they just happen mm-hmm. to be yeah. freak athletes. I think that yeah. guy was, he's like yeah. really nerdy and kind of, no one, yeah. no one wants to hang out with him, but he just happens to be the best pitcher they have, or whatever. And right. it's so funny where he's like, "You got to practice hard every day to make the majors." He's like, "Dude, this is a practice before right. a practice. Yeah. Like, this is right. not yeah, even yeah, a, yeah. you know." And uh, the the moment where that McReynolds is stepping up to the plate or whatever, and the catcher is kind of talking smack or something, he's like, "Don't talk to me when I'm hitting." And like, there it it turned into the Sandlot randomly at the end of the movie. Sure. It was like a college version of the Sandlot with a smack talk and their real competitiveness uh, showing from these guys. But man, what a great moment, but chock full of great moments. I love the, like they leave the house, they go to the club and you get kind of a snapshot of what a club is like in the eighties, the disco music and the clothes. And I mean, it was like Saturday night fever for a few minutes there. Really, really good sequence. And then they decide, you know what? Screw this. We're going to go to another bar, you know, like everyone does. Uh, when they go out in college and they go to a honky tonk, but uh, in here, but that was honky tonk scene was great with the, it was urban cowboy there. I'm going to hate to, you know, hark on these Travolta movies, Brian, but uh reminded me of <laughs> yeah. it's my of trigger warning. And, uh, and that was great. <laughs> and then they go to a punk show, you know, for a few, mm. for a scene. And that was really fun to see kind of an eighties, uh, you know, the, I guess the birth of punk rock or in its heyday. Yeah. That was awesome. I didn't expect that at all. When I saw these, this baseball team, I didn't expect them to end up at a punk show, but that was was really cool. And uh, we're on the NFL draft time right now. And uh, there's a scene where, where Jake is talking with his love interest uh, in the movie and they're talking on the phone and it's a really good scene, like a really memorable phone scene kind of when he calls her for the first time or they talk on the phone for the first time after mm-hmm. randomly meeting. And I want to note to draft a, like that's how you do split screen phone calls, <laughs> the cutting. And it was cut down the exact middle the entire time. And they alternated between close-ups and medium close-ups the entire, and it was great. And it was edited great. And it was, you could follow along. I just don't, they just, Oh, that, that really upset me about draft day, the way they did the split screen and everything. But Richard, don't feel like we've heard her from you. What are some scenes that stuck that's, out? That's what that's what upset you, draft day. Um, that among other gosh. things. Yeah, no, the, the scrimmage scene's great. It just pops and is alive and feels like 
like oddly like cinema, like you're watching this like art mm-hmm. presence of, of baseball. Um, you know, I, it's the classic kind of, I'll just talk about the kind of the final scene. It's the, it's the classic, uh, link ending without really ending. This is going to mm-hmm. continue on type of thing, which was, yes. you know, I think really worked with this story. Um, you know, I think boyhood probably has the most kind of, I mean, it's definitely, he's going on with his life, but it's like kind of a finite ending. He's going to college, but all those other movies sometimes just kind of, or, or the jam session in school of rock, which I saw that that's an ending. Oh, that's an ending. Do we need I to haven't... pause for a second? And let you cry. Yeah, we, we do. We do. I need, I need a I haven't watched uh, boyhood since I saw it in the theater. I don't think I could. Uh-huh. I, I mean, that movie, like, it made me like sob. Like that was that. It was that oh, moving. Like, it was it was beautiful. This movie was just pure joy, like pure nostalgic yeah. joy. Yeah, it was totally a different way. I mean, nostalgic for a period in which none of us were. Well, I guess Brian, were you born in? You were born in 1941, right? Right. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you were just your... before World War Two ended. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So you were you were you were ration, right you were yeah. a ration baby. Yeah. So yeah. I would you were 40 at the time. No, but I mean, it's it's cool because it's the the time period doesn't matter. You still feel right. the nostalgia whether you were alive then or not. Yeah, I, I really feel like and I don't know if, if you guys will think this is true as well. You guys know much more about movies than I do, but I really Obviously. feel like <laughs> I feel like Just... he uh, Richard Linklater really directs for himself. I feel yeah. like he wants in 50 years. He wants to be able to say, that's how I felt when that was a kid. And that's why I made boyhood. I don't think he at all directs for, you know, the like huge financial successes. He obviously doesn't because he almost like, it's almost like he's intentionally making cult films, which I don't know if that's a good thing to intentionally not be profitable upfront, but then later come to be loved and revered um, as a film. But I, I really feel like he almost intentionally wants these films to be cult films. No one really cares when they come out. And then in 10 or 15 years, everybody's like, Oh my God, this is a masterpiece. Right. So it's almost like he's doing that on purpose, but I would, I, I <laughs> yeah, don't know. That's true. I told, uh, told the guys, I, w- I went and saw this last night. It was like an eight o'clock showing and this is in limited release. So there's only like four theaters in DFW that are showing this. And so if you want to yeah. see this, you're going to have to go find a theater. And I was the only one in the theater on it at an eight o'clock showing. And I was like, man, this must not be d- doing well, but you're exactly right. He he probably wants it that way. He probably doesn't – I mean, he obviously wants it to be a success, sure. but he he uh, he doesn't make it for those re- those reasons at yes. all. Like he's not going to like right. the movie any less if it doesn't right. make a ton of money. And I think a lot of filmmakers yes. will and, say, oh, you know, shouldn't have made that movie. It sucked. Nobody liked it and, and all that. I really don't think there's been one in his career that he regrets at all. Yeah, and yeah, agree, the, he doesn't care. I think it's – to kind of to tie that up, I, I think it's just for him. He's not going to let uh, being he's not going to let making the quote unquote successful financially successful choice uh, wreck his film. You know what I mean? Like he's going to yeah. make the movie that he wants to make. And if if there's a way for it to be financially successful, great. School of Rock. Awesome. Like that made a good chunk of money. Great. Awesome. I don't Boyhood think, made 45 million off like right, a four Boyhood million dollar little, budget. Yeah, exactly. Made a little bit of money. I mean, that's I think that's kind of like a bonus to him. It's not going to stop him from making the movie that he wants to make. You know, the one time I, mean, I think you can say he probably took a paycheck to do something was was uh, Bad News Bears. And that may be the one that he said, eh, <laughs> great, great of a movie, you know, but 
Uh, that's okay. Fine. You've got 25 credits to your name. If you want to take a paycheck once or twice, I'm good with that. But I think he's kind of at the point where it's, I'm going to make the movie that I want to make and I'm going to hope that I can find some sort of audience for it. But if it makes $0, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, if he, if boyhood doesn't win best picture, I mean, granted it went against Birdman, which is, it's an incredible film in its own right. But I think it's just not in the cards for him. He's just like doesn't not going to care anymore. He's going to do what he wants. Oh, to Oh, I don't know. I think he. I think. Don't be surprised. I mean, he's his. I wouldn't write him off. In that I wouldn't regard. write him. I off, wouldn't but... say he'll definitely win, but if he won an Oscar in two years for you know, I wouldn't be shocked. How I, I, it'd be crazy. I mean, it's going to have to be better than this. Like, I don't think this will be a best best. It's not a best picture kind of movie, but I mean, this. No. There's not a person that's seen this that wouldn't recommend it in some way. And like, what sure, more does he need to do to make everyone love something? And it's still not yeah. be good enough. You know, that's just my question. Everything he does is good and he never seems to be even the favorite. He wasn't even the favorite. I don't think, I think it was for best director, but certainly not best yeah. picture. Yeah. From Boyhood. Part were... of it is that he's just, he's kind of a Hollywood outsider. You know, he lives in Austin. He does most of his filming locally. And I don't get the vibe from him that he's real big on the, on making the rounds and shaking hands and kissing babies and, and talking about how grueling the the shooting schedule was, like uh, Inarudu is, and you know, I mean, it's just, I don't think it's weird to me that he doesn't. I it, it's still shocking me that he didn't win for Boyhood. Like that was the, like Best Picture, fine, but director, I don't know what else you want from from your director. So I don't know that he's got a, an Oscar coming, but I also don't think it. I don't think it keeps him up at night. Like it seemed to with, you know, I don't know. Like it, it always seemed like DiCaprio, as much as we joked about how i think he's fine uh i do think it bothered him that he didn't have an oscar i don't know that link letter cares all that much yeah another moment in the movie that was hilarious was the impossible setup moment sequence uh, in the locker yeah. room i mean just put a camera Classic. there and yeah. just let it the scene play out i mean good right. grief guys walking in the locker room like is this guy gonna get pranked this guy's gonna fall for it this guy's <laughs> right. totally gonna... right. that was hilarious as well and uh, mm -hmm. in a great, uh, great moment. But how did you guys? Yeah. I was just really curious about the scene where they're at the punk show, and it's it's Jake who says, "I'm having an identity crisis" yeah. or something to that effect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I didn't like that. I don't know if if you guys thought that was good or, but I just felt like it was a little too on the nose, kind of like. Yeah. Sure. I think he was, sure. you know, he was trying to imply, you know, you're all these different things when you're this age and it doesn't matter because you're having fun and you're enjoying yourself. But to sit there, I, I promise you at a party, I've never like where I've dressed up, I've never turned to someone and been like, what am I, you know, type thing. So I didn't I didn't know if that was weird to anybody else, but it felt a I have, but for me. different reasons. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, you're right. That's not, that's a totally fair criticism. That's like a little bit of screenwriting, like, um, not quite, uh, exposition, but a little bit of convenience at the very least. That's, that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. I interpreted it the like he's Jake is, you know, he's kind of set in his identity, but there he is at a punk rock show and he's loving it. So he's like, I yeah. know I'm not a punk rocker. So the music, I think just kind of overcame him in that moment the power of the punk rock and all the people around him moshing and everything and he just says screw it i'm ha you know i guess that's just mm -hmm. a way for him to say 
I don't even care what I am. I'm going to go have a good time. Other than just you see Jake, and then he just runs into the pit without saying anything. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, I guess it's just kind of a way for him. I interpreted it, right. like you said, Richard, in the screenplay to interpret that uh, transition. Yeah. And I would say that's probably not the best moment of the film, but to me, kind of the flip side, I guess, is like I was able to kind of not get, I don't know, uh, put off by that because he kind of he says it with a smile and he says it in an endearing sort of way to where it makes you feel like this is yes I don't know that that the that any eighteen year old is saying that in that moment but he <laughs> kind of says it in like a almost like a tongue in cheek kind of way instead of this becoming like I don't know I again I feel like if this is a studio movie maybe that happens thirty minutes earlier and then we get some sort of him oh, yeah. going through the, the cycle of uh, trying to figure out his identity and all that, which we've seen a million times in, in film. And instead, it's just like, here we go, back into the part. You know, it's just, I don't know. He, he approached it in a way that to me made it seem like this is not the, this is not the heavy moment that maybe it would have been in, in different hands. Yeah, well, I, I didn't feel like the love story was tacked on a bit. I know that could be a criticism of this, that if there was, I mean... If there was no him trying to get with Auburn hair, you know, it uh, mm. still would have been a good sure. movie. But I felt the chemistry and everything was very good between the characters, and I didn't feel like it was a stretch at all. I just yeah, uh, it and felt, it, felt, re- it felt honest, yeah, it right? Felt honest like I mean, genuine. that's just they had legitimate chemistry. You knew that they were going to stay together. You know, at the end, I mean, obviously they didn't make it official or anything like that. They kind of meet each other at the end, and they kind of start to like each other. But you kind of know they're gonna, you know, get married at the you know in ten years kind of thing, and uh, <laughs> and with very limited screen time together, I will say. So he did an effective job. Linklater did of making that a uh, an acceptable storyline or plotline. Yeah. But do we? Have I like any other that thoughts? too, man. Yeah. I, just kind of harping on that yeah. I, again. I don't want to keep saying the same thing of like if this was a big studio film, it would do this. But I thought maybe. Like maybe one of my maybe my favorite part of the whole film is that it didn't end with kind of the traditional here's where McReynolds ends up in five years. You I know that they were whole gonna thing. Do that. These I two are. I did yeah. too. I really thought for a second that when he's laying his head down on the desk at the end and uh, and it's clo- You know, it's finishing up. I really thought for a second we're gonna get the flash forward bit, and that can you know I think he's the type of director that could pull that off and make it fun and enjoyable and not an eye roll but i'm so glad that they didn't go that route that it ends where it does open-ended and we're just this is not a big you know this is not some big thing that we're building towards it's just these this three days before college starts and this is what you do and i I thought that was such a nice little touch that we don't have to see credits roll and and uh jake and auburn hair girl are now married and have three children you know all this sort of stuff like i don't care about that stuff because that's not what the movie was about so i loved that touch i thought that was kind of the perfect note to end it on yeah i guess we should compare this to days confused i haven't done that um (laughs) i like this just as much i think days confused will always be the iconic movie the cult classic and of course it brought us mcconaughey and so it'll always be known for that. And this is just as good. I just don't know if this will have the lasting cultural impact that uh, Days of Confused had. We'll see. Yeah, Maybe this I will agree. be a cult classic and 10 years later people rediscover this. But um, I just don't know if high school is a, you know, everybody kind of went to high school. You know, whether you dropped out or whatever, everyone kind of experienced it somewhat. 
not everyone went to college and especially weren't in a fraternity or part of a team. So I don't know how many people can relate to this and the level that they related to Days of Confused. And Days of Confused was set in the mid-70s, which was the peak uh, for that uh, culture, music culture and things like sure. that. Sure. So uh, what did you guys, how, do you, how would you compare this to Days of Confused? Uh, Richard. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, I think it's a more focused film. I mean, yeah. it's condensed mm-hmm. and not as sprawling. Um, so in some ways, it's better. You're right, though. It's not as, as time. You know, no one had ever really done uh, a genre pick on that era before. Now there's hundreds. But so it always kind of stick out in people's mind because that's 93 and it's a movie about 76. You know, it's it's weird that that's only 15 years apart. Like we're farther from Days and Confused now than Days and Confused was from the era that it's studied by quite a considerable amount. Does that make sense? Um so that's weird. But uh, so it was kind of a new, fresh thing. But the, I don't think this will be as thought of as much of a classic. But I think this will be a movie with considerable legs. I hope you're right. And this, mm-hmm. you know, Linklater is he's he's John Hughes now. Like he's John Hughes has left us mm-hmm. and he's he's what we have now. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about a movie like The Breakfast Club to compare this to that. I mean, you take very minimal plot line you like they're in detention like that's the plot line and these characters just kind of flesh out you get to know them and uh, their relationship and you're rooting you, you know you know people like them you're rooting for certain ones of them to succeed later in life and uh certain ones to fail and uh he's sort of taken the spirit of john hughes and recaptured that i think he's the closest mm-hmm. thing we have to that kind of nostalgic coming of age story that uh, is not driven by Hollywood like uh, most of the uh, the spectacular nows of the world are. But, Emily, have you seen Days of Confused? I have. I have. How would you compare them? Um, I would say that, well, first of all, I'm still in college, so I don't, yeah. you know, have a, I don't have the, I guess, fortune of being able to look back. But I know that, or at least in my opinion, people's high school experiences are much more varied than their experiences in college. Oh, okay. Um, I think in high school, you know, you have people who had very few friends and were just very in the books and very quiet. And while you have that in college, I mean, you had people who never went to a party at all in high school in college, even if you were a little bit more, you know, academically oriented, I guess is the best way to put it. You still, you knew those people, you, you were friends with someone who went to parties. You probably, I don't think anyone leaves college, hopefully not, um, without having attended a party. And so that's why I think for me, and maybe it's just cause I'm living through this again, but this one is easier for me to relate to because they seem confused. I, I love the movie, but I didn't say, Oh, that's, you know, this person I've met that person. And I know this person. Whereas with um, Everybody Wants Some, I feel like I can relate half of my friends to characters in these in, in this film. So yeah. I enjoyed this one more. That could just be my age, you know. But uh, I like this one better. Very interesting. Great insight from Emily this entire time. <laughs> Great insight from about Linklater and, uh, and all that they shared. And uh, we're glad you came. But we're going to give you a chance now to give your grade for this movie 
Have you? What would you grade it? I would say, oh, this is tough. I'm gonna go. Oh, I'm no going to go with an A. <laughs> I know I'm scared. I don't want to like let Linklater down. I'm sure he's going to be, you know, listening very carefully. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big say... fan. Huge fan. <laughs> Uncle, Huge Uncle fan Rick. Yeah. Uncle Rick. <laughs> yep. Rick's what we call him. I'm going to go with well, an A. Well, I've got. Okay. okay. You're going to go with an A minus? A minus, yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with an A. Solid A. Just right down the middle. Um, again, there's stuff you could nitpick, and, and I don't think it has necessarily the legs that Richard thinks it does. So that's why it's not a plus for me, but what a great time I had watching this. And it's about as good as I could have expected. I, I did. I was like you, Richard. I did kind of think this would be kind of a downer considering the release date. And we heard some stuff from the film festivals about this, but not glowing praise. Like no one's like, mark your calendars link later, you know, like some of these other movies uh, have been. So that's why it gets an A from me. Uh, Richard, what would you give it? I'm going to go solid A as well. So you're absolutely right, Ken, because you agreed with me completely. <laughs> Brian, what about you, my friend? Same, solid A. Uh, and you know what? It's already growing on me. I think I came out of the theater thinking A minus, and the the 24 hours since I saw it and talking to you guys about it, I, I it may it may rise up as a as the end of the year approaches. Like I'm really I'm really high on this one. Really like this lot. one has a great rewatchability factor to it. I think totally, this is be yeah. One that you're gonna want to yeah. revisit a couple of times. Yeah. I came home and told my wife about it, and immediately was like, I kind of can't wait till it comes out on you know DVD or streaming or whatever. We can watch it again because it's it's I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch a second, third, fourth time. Doesn't pull on your heartstrings necessarily like as heavy handedly as Boyhood does. No, no, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, Boyhood is like such an emotional movie, and and this is I don't think this is. It just is more. It's like nostalgia, but not just nostalgia for the sake of nostalgia. You know what I mean? Like it's a really yeah, legit, absolutely. honest movie yeah. instead of just kind of um, doing stuff that that makes you. Uh, look back on that. It's time not. It's not. Life. You know it's what just... this isn't? It's not. Uh, take me home tonight, or one of those. Like, you know what we need? <laughs> we need some eighties, and just make this like yeah, heavy-handed, totally. like yeah. hot tub time machine right. kind of kind of movie. Just an excuse <laughs> How to dare like, go you? back to the eighties. Oh, hot tub time machine two, the masterpiece. Uh, hot tub yeah, time machine one just one. builds to two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone knows that. Cusack for it to really fly. But that's just that's how I felt. But great movie. Great, great time. And link later, yeah. just give us one of these every year. We'll be good. Yes, yes. Just anything you want to turn out for us, we're I'm up for it. I just I'm I'm in loving the the ride that we're on with them right now. So let's move on, and Emily uh, can join us for a weekly recommends. Weekly recommends. Go ahead, uh, Richard. Yeah, so I'm going to recommend something very self-serving. The uh, the Mad About Movies newsletter launches next Monday. Uh, so go to uh, go to madaboutmovies.com, uh, madaboutmoviespodcast.com, rather, and subscribe. Um, it's going to be a little monthly magazine from us. Emily, have you subscribed? I am. I am. I have. Okay, good. There we're good. Then you can stay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we were going to delete all... this whole episode otherwise. Yep. It was going to go right. <laughs> it was going to go right next to the rat race app. Um, <laughs> so in, the print, in our Prince Vault, but. Uh, no, it's it's going to be a fun little magazine from us. We've been working on it a little bit, and uh, and it's going to be fun. So it'll be out on pretty much the first Monday of the month every month, and uh, and uh, yeah, so we're excited. So I recommend that sign up this week so you can get the first 
uh, edition on Monday. Kent, what about it's, you? It's madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash newsletter if you want to sign up for that. Perfect. I'm going to recommend a documentary, and this is a 30 for 30 production on Netflix, Ooh. an ESPN Films production. It's a Fantastic Lies. Has anyone seen this one yet? It's the story of the oh. Duke University lacrosse team sexual oh, yes, abuse yes, scandal. Oh, yes, yes, I have. This is a crazy documentary that everyone needs to watch. It's it's insane. And if you don't know, the Duke lacrosse team was accused. A bunch of their members were accused of sexual assault, and, and uh, you know went had a big trial, and it was a huge deal at the time. And they do a very good job. ESPN does of sort of capturing what it was like during that time and, and everything. And it's a it's a very interesting documentary. And everyone I know that's seen it. If I haven't mentioned it to them, they've said, "Have you seen Fantastic Lies? You need to see it." You know, it's a uh, mm-hmm. it's a really really interesting documentary. So thirty for thirty, Fantastic Lies on Netflix. It's uh, less than two hours, and uh, a good good documentary. So I'll recommend that, Brian. Yeah, I'm going to recommend a TV show uh, that just wrapped up its second season, and I binged uh, all ten episodes in about four days. It's if it's not the best show on TV, it's the second best show behind the Americans. It's Better Call Saul. You can watch the first season on Netflix. Still, uh, the second season, you're gonna have to get on on demand or Hulu or whatever newfangled service you youngins use. Um, I racked them all on my DVR and just and and just crushed through them all at one time. American Treasure Bob Odenkirk is the best. I love him. I love the character so much. It might be better than Breaking Bad, and I know that it's saying something because Breaking Bad's probably one of the, I don't know, three or five best TV shows of all time, but good gracious, it's so enjoyable, and it's the slow burn. It's the stuff that I liked the most about Breaking Bad, but I, for me, it's even more interesting because I think Saul might be the most interesting character out of anybody from, from the Breaking Bad universe, and Jonathan Banks needs to get all of the awards in for the next, like, five years, like... I don't know, Emmys, anything that they can give him an award for, they should do so because his performance on the show is just on another level. Uh, I loved it. It's been awesome. I really enjoyed I enjoyed binging it. I think it's a really good show to binge. You know, I think some shows lend themselves to week to week watching and some are better watched in large doses like that. And, and I think this is one of them. Man, I, I, I love doing it. Kent, are you are you still watching? I know Richard's way behind. I, I'm I don't not know caught up. I've, up. My, my attention okay. has shifted to the Americans now. And I'm, yeah. I'm 100%, 100% caught up on Americans the Americans. And I'm a, I'm a little obsessed with it right now. So that was my yeah. attention. The Game of Thrones, For, Game of Thrones yeah. just came back. Silicon Valley came There's a mm-hmm. lot. Last Man on Earth. I'm still, yeah. I'm still fully on that. It's strong. Too, so. I will get, it's I will it's get a strong uh, moment. But for me, it, Americans Better Call Saul, it, it just goes back and forth, one-two punch. Like, it's they're, – they're both so good. And they're, they're so different. I mean, they couldn't be any more different except in the fact that they, they both – I think the one major similarity between those shows is they both let – the everything that happens, it, it has space to breathe. It just – it's slow, and you it takes as long as it takes to get to whatever they're trying to get to. And I think that's what makes it for such – uh, enjoyable viewing and such rich characters. So that's my recommend. Better call Saul. Check it out. Emily, how about you? All right. I have thought of mine. Uh, I'm thinking, especially since everybody wants some was eighties, my favorite eighties band, even though it's not really that much in the eighties is REM. So yes, I'm a very big REM fan. So I'm recommending, um, 
Automatic for the People. It came out in 92, but it is uh, one of my favorite albums, so everyone should listen to that. R.E.M. I'm surprised there was no R.E.M. in this. I guess 1980 was a little before their time. Yeah, yeah it like was. 82 kicking was... Kicking around, kicking around started, Athens. Kicking, just still kicking around, but yeah, there's a good documentary called uh, R.E.M. by MTV, I think it's called. It's sort of a behind-the-music-esque documentary about R.E.M. that's worth seeking out as well. They're very, they're just such an interesting band. They're very fascinating people. Yeah, they, man, they, they broke up. They're a band that really broke up on their own terms and uh, did it the they right did, way. Yeah. I think uh, I would love to see them get back together. I'm a huge fan, but um, man, you got to admire them for the, for the, what they did and the way they went about their business. Yeah. So Emily, thanks for joining us. It's been yes, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, where can excited. we find you online? Uh, I am E-M-G-R-C-E on all social media. So. E-M-G-R-C-E on Twitter, yep. Facebook, uh, Zanga, everything. everything. Okay. <laughs> My space, right. <laughs> Where can we find you, Brian? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and on the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter starting next week. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at richardbarden.com and also on the Mad About Movies newsletter. Kent, I'm, I've been looking for you my whole life. Where would I find you? You can find <laughs> me online at Kent Garrison and oh. find our show online, every single episode that we've released, mind you, on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. And uh, only our most recent 100 episodes show up on the podcast feed. So if you want anything older than that, you're going to have to go to the website. And uh, if you want to contact us, contact us at madaboutmoviespodcast.gmail.com or leave us five stars on iTunes. That goes a long way. But until next time, we'll see you at the cinema. Bye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. The salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. <laughs>